Welcome to the show where we interview our network of B2B SaaS experts. This is the Notion Capital Podcast, hosted by Paul Papadimitriou. I'm today, I'm back with Abby. We're still talking about culture. We mentioned earlier that this uh, term culture was almost overplayed in the media, the blogs, etc. But part of it is reasonable. I mean, especially in the current affairs, we've heard about the stories of Uber, for instance. Is Uber a toxic culture? That's another question I'm going to ask you. But what is a toxic culture and what is a good culture? Is it even definable as this good versus evil? Your point about whether it's definable is probably the right one. I don't think you can define past a certain point what constitutes a good culture. I mean, I think it's important to recall that there's a certain degree of subjectivity in this context, right? One person's nightmare work environment is another person's dream. And people ask me all the time, you know, what does good culture look like? What does toxic culture look like? And so much of it comes down to as I said, what's the purpose of the organisation? What are they trying to achieve? If, if it's to aggressively expand, you know, all over the world, then having a value around being cutthroat and competitive makes a lot of sense and will help them to fulfil that purpose. But on an individual level, your personal values kind of hierarchy might not stack up with that. So, for example, if you, if you think about, you know, people talk about our oh, banks as a culture that they might not enjoy. But if you're somebody who values the opportunity to work with bright people, a high degree of consistency and stability and prestige, like working in a bank is going to feel good. But if variety and flexibility and autonomy and more freedom is more important to you than, say, consistency and stability, then a startup is going to feel much better for you. And I think we really have to remember, like, in the context of Uber, the people who most care about building something that is going to touch the lives of people around the world and work with extremely bright people in a very competitive environment, you know, somewhere like Uber, I imagine, you know, I haven't worked there myself, would have a lot to offer and a lot about it that appeals. And that, you know, it doesn't mean they don't care about fairness. It doesn't mean that they don't care about how people are treated. But, you know, arguably... In terms of the hierarchy of values, it, it's lower down. And for someone like me, fairness is very important to me. So I couldn't imagine thriving in that kind of context. But for what they're trying to do, that culture, you know, is a, it's a deliberate consequence of where the founders have sought to steer, you know, the company in that direction. And for some people, that's an environment that works for them and for others it isn't. And I think it's really hard for us to wrestle with this idea. I'm not saying I think it's a good culture. I'm just saying that I don't think good or bad cultures, as we sort of discuss them, necessarily exist because we're coming at it from a highly subjective place. Yeah, we're putting our own prism, our own analysis. But let, let's put aside Uber. But in general, do you think that in a world like today, where there's a lot of uh, companies are in the public eye, of course, if they're uh, consumer facing, especially, mm. do you think it's even possible to maintain these very, uh, I wouldn't use the word, you know, everybody is highly driven in the startup world, but let's yeah. say cutthroat approach? Because they're, if I go back to Uber, 
just said I would leave it out. But if I go back to Uber, they also criticized. And now they have this huge media backlash. So is it possible for them, and I'm not asking you here to analyze Uber in particular, but is it possible for a company to change after all this time? Should they change? Should a company change if they really are seen as toxic? Or is the only North Star the success of the expansion, for instance, of the business? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what the people leading any organization perceive to be success, right? You know, if employee attrition is expensive, not just financially, but in terms of opportunity cost and productivity and losing customers is also very expensive. So I think if you're a company that wants to hang around for a long time, these things will eventually have an impact. And so you have to address them. That being said, you know, it's not binary, right? I think it's important that we remember that on this vast spectrum of of culture, there are lots of different places in which you can sit and still have a, a fulfilling, create a fulfilling environment for the people you're working with and one that will help to shape a brand that consumers feel proud or excited by. But I think, again, it, brand and culture are so interrelated. Mm-hmm. If a big part of your brand is being you know, a fair, open, tolerant, accessible company, then your culture has to reflect that. If your brand's success is perhaps more based on price differentiation or simply being cut through. I mean, if you look at different brands over, like, you know, you've got Ryanair or Wonga or depending on what the customer's looking for, you know, these things might be less important. But I think going forward, and this is a comment that's made quite often, and as a millennial, I find it marginally frustrating to be lumped into a giant monolithic bucket of single-minded people but people of my generation generally speaking are supposedly far more interested in the authenticity of the brand I think that if this is really who you are then you have to find a way to kind of live that and manage that without alienating too many people whether it's customers or candidates because actually I think being disingenuous is probably from a brand perspective more Uh, toxic than actually just being yourself and perhaps not being the most the nicest person ever you just said that we cannot define culture in a binary terms good or bad i'm gonna still gonna ask you then what is a good culture you you mentioned the term authenticity could be a defining characteristic of a good culture now is also flexibility one as in adapting to the fact that you know people change customer change environment change behaviors change you know processes change Mm. that's a really good question i think flexibility or adaptability are obviously both great strengths but like any strengths when taken to their extreme they can also become weaknesses true there's always a trade-off between flexibility and stability i think particularly for scaling companies that becomes an increasingly difficult balance to strike being open to and responsive to changing sort of markets as well as maintaining an eye on on the future so that you're not stuck with being purely reactive obviously is important but the reality is once organizations get past a certain size there needs to be a degree of rigidity and stability and in order to make sure that things don't spiral wildly out of control and again to talk about the non-binary nature of this it's not like it's either giant faceless monolithic corporate or lean edgy startup there's a whole range of stations on that journey that you can stop at that will make sure that your people and your work are still fulfilled 
and your purpose is still fulfilled, you know. People think at some point this lever goes, you know, there's this switch and all of a sudden you become this massive multinational sort of in terms of your mindset. It's just not how it works. It's a constantly evolving process and I think the key thing, and you've brought it up a couple of times, and I think you're totally right, is it's about self-awareness and it's about having the confidence and the foresight to stop and take stock on where you're at, reevaluate where you're trying to go, and, and again, reassess what's the gap and how we're going to bridge it. So now, whether you're a um, faceless multinational or a very young startup filled with millennials, how can people find you, Abby? They can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me very sporadically tweeting. <laughs> I have to confess, I'm a pretty terrible millennial when it comes to social media. <laughs> But mostly they can find me in Shoreditch at multiple, we're online at wearemultiple.com. Perfect. And on that, thank you very much, Abby. Thank you, Paul.